What an amazing song. What an amazing uh, truth. No matter what we're going through, we are not alone. And I don't know who here this morning needs to be reminded of that truth, uh, but I pray that if nothing else today, you walk out of here knowing that no matter what you're going through, you are not alone. God is always with you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit is living in you. Uh, So praise God for his presence. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you that through every victory in our lives and through every valley that we walk through, you are walking with us. Uh, God, that you are the Savior who weeps with those who weep, and you rejoice with those who rejoice. We saw that in your son Jesus as he walked this earth, weeping with his friends Mary and Martha, Uh, but celebrating at a wedding in Cana. Uh, God, you are with us at all times, and we thank you for that. And God, I do pray this morning that you would speak to us through your word, that as as we hear your word, that your spirit would do the work that you need to do in each of our hearts and each of our lives. And as it's already been said this morning, we thank you that in your word, you include stories like we looked at last week, but you also <laughs> include stories like we're going to look at today. We see the, the depths of depravity in man, but we also see victory over sin uh, as others walk in obedience to you. We thank you for both because we relate to both. Sometimes we we do, we follow you and we listen to you and we, we, we avoid and we refuse sin in our lives. And other times, God, we find ourselves falling. And I thank you, God, that you're a God who loves us all the way through. And your grace and your forgiveness is available to us. Speak to us now through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I can't say that I am unhappy that we left... Genesis chapter 38, Um, but yes, I I do believe it was an important chapter to look at. But if you have your Bible with you, uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 39. We're going to continue our study looking at the life of Joseph. And uh, yes, last week in in chapter 38, uh, the author paused the story of Joseph and focused in on Joseph's older brother, Judah. And as I pointed out last week, that chapter focusing on Judah paints an incredible contrast for us between Joseph and and his brothers, specifically with Judah. We saw, as I just prayed, we saw the depravity of man on full display in Joseph, uh, excuse me, in Judah and his sons. And then today, in chapter 39, we're going to see the godly character and the integrity of, of Joseph. But before we jump into Genesis chapter 39, it's been a few weeks, so I thought we could just briefly recap where we left off. It was like three or four weeks ago in uh, the end of Genesis chapter 37. So the last time we were talking about Joseph, Joseph's brothers, you may recall, have stripped him of his special coat that his father had given him, the, the, the coat that identified him as dad's favorite child, right? The one who would likely receive all the inheritance. And after they took his coat off, we know that they threw him into a pit, right? A dried up cistern. And they were going to leave him there to die. 
But Judah comes up with a brilliant plan and says, hey, well, the goal is to get rid of Joseph, right? Why not make a few dollars in the process, right? I mean, we want to get rid of him. So let's instead, let's sell him as a slave to these Ishmaelite uh, traders who are coming from, uh, from the east. So they're on their way to Egypt, and Judah sees them coming and says, let's sell him as a slave. We'll be done with jo- uh, Joseph, and we'll make a few dollars. So for 20 shekels of silver, which is what, two a piece, right, after they split it up between the 10 brothers, for 20 shekels of sil- silver, they uh, sell Joseph as a slave, and then they they do the unthinkable. They trick their father into believing that their brother is dead. They, they, they rip his coat up. They dip it in blood. They bring it back, and they say, Dad, is this Joseph's coat? And Jacob is left with a broken heart, right? Jacob is just wrecked that his son has died. Well, meanwhile, Joseph was dragged down around two, somewhere between like 220, 260, maybe 280 miles um, away from home, and he's sold as a slave in Egypt, and he lands in the house of a man named Potiphar. And when we left off a few weeks ago, I asked you, I asked you to imagine what must have been going through Joseph's mind as he was bound as a slave, carried off to Egypt, put on the auction block, right? Can you imagine the, the emotional pains of betrayal and loss that he must have been feeling? The, the, the grief over not seeing his father again. And then we talked about all the dreams that he had, right? He had all these dreams where his, his brothers and his mother and father, they're going to bow down to him, right? What do you think he thinks about those dreams as he's tied off and dragged away to Egypt? Those dreams must have felt a million miles away. And as I close my eyes and I try to picture myself in Joseph's shoes, my mind is filled with questions. Questions like, God, what is happening? God, what are you doing? Where are you? Why don't you do something? Why don't you rescue me? Now, for those of us who've read the rest of the story, we know that God is doing something, isn't he? God is not absent in this story at all. His hands are all over this story. But it's easy for us, because we're reading the whole story, because we've heard it maybe since the time we grew up in Sunday school, it's easy for us to forget that Joseph was experiencing this this trial in his life one moment at a time, right? One moment at a time, just like you and I walk through the trials that we face in our life. And today, what we're going to see is that Joseph not only walked by faith through the trials of his life, but in today's passage, we're going to see that Joseph also walked by faith through the temptations that came into his life. So with your Bibles open, let's begin in Genesis chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Genesis 39, verse 1 says this. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. So Joseph, he arrives in Egypt, and he finds himself as a slave to one of Pharaoh's higher-ranking officials. He is the captain of the guard. These were the people 
who were responsible for providing you know, protection for, for Pharaoh and for Pharaoh's belongings and his homes and things like that. But they were also the people who were responsible for carrying out capital sentences and carrying out executions on behalf of Pharaoh. And so Joseph finds himself as a slave in the house of Potiphar, who was a very powerful man. He's gone from being, you know, the favored son, right? He was the, he was the, he was the big cheese in, in that house, wasn't he, right? But he's gone from that position now with dreams that he would one day rule over all his brothers to now serving in the lowest position in Potiphar's house. Far from the fields of, of his father's sheep in Canaan, Joseph is now surrounded by the wealth and the opulence of, of Egypt. He's living in a foreign culture. They're speaking a language that he doesn't even understand. They worship a plethora of gods that he's never even heard of. Joseph's life has been turned upside down. Do you agree? He's now a slave. Joseph is a slave. And a few weeks back, I don't know if you remember this, but I talked about the way that trials and pain, they have a way of either drawing us closer to God right, or pushing us away from God. I mentioned that, that the bigger the trial, the greater the capacity to do one of those two things, right? If we allow the trials to push us closer to God, that's a good thing, right? But if we allow the, the trial to get between us and God, then the bigger the trial, then we can't even see God anymore because we focus on the trial. Well, Joseph is going through an, a, tri a trial of an incredible magnitude, greater than really, at least greater than I've ever experienced and probably greater than most of you have ever, have ever experienced. And he easily, Joseph easily could have allowed this situation to turn his heart away from God, you know, to become bitter, to become resentful. What did I do to deserve this, right? Those are the types of things that we cry out when things don't go our way. But he didn't. Joseph didn't. Instead, Joseph made the decision to press in and draw closer to God through the trials that he faced. In the New Testament book of James, James tells Christians this. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How many of you, that's your life verse? Like, that's my favorite verse. Bring it on. I just love the way that God molds me and grows me through trials. Anybody? Anybody like, man, God, I'm just praying for the next trial to come my way. Nobody? Uh, good news for you. You don't have to pray for it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You don't have to ask. Trials will come your way. But here's the thing about trials. As difficult as they are, we see that God often uses trials and he uses pain, uh, the pains that we go through to build our faith and to sharpen our godly character. He does that. As difficult as this trial is for Joseph, we, because we've read the story, we can see that God was using this trial to prepare Joseph for the kind of leader that God wanted him to be. God is not wasting Joseph's pain. I love what Warren Wearsby says. He says this, had Joseph stayed home with his pampering father, Joseph might 
uh, not have developed the kind of character that comes from hard work and obeying orders. God's method for building us is to give us a job to do and people to obey. He tests us as servants before he promotes us to being rulers. There is nothing I, I, I have enjoyed less than working for a leader, right? And you've had this experience, right? I mean, I've had a lot of jobs going up through high school and college and in my early adult years. There's nothing worse than working for a leader who hasn't learned how to be a servant, is there? Nothing. The Lord was preparing Joseph for the position of power that he would one day hold. God was building into Joseph the heart of a servant, And I don't know what trial you may be going through right now, but you can know this, that God is not going to waste your pain either. He's using the trials. He's using the circumstances that we face to mold us into the men and women that he desires us to be. And I think the sooner we realize that, the better off we're going to be, you know? So the first question is like, God, what are you doing in this trial? It's what are you trying to do in me? What are you trying to accomplish? Verse 2 says that the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Now, if you'd never read this story Did you see that coming? No way, right? The text says that the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph, he he was going through some of the most difficult trials of his life, but God was with him. That's important. Joseph was never alone, just like the song that, that Jen just sang, right? I am not alone. I am not alone. You will go before me you will never leave me. Some of you just need to be like, sing that over and over and over again with a trial that maybe you're going through right now. I am not alone. I am not alone. You will go before me. You will never leave me. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, he is with you. Matthew 28, verse 20, what did Jesus say? He said, I am with you always, right? always to the end of the age. God was with Joseph. And listen, Joseph lived like God was with him. And I think one of the problems we have is that God is with us, but we don't live like God is with us. We don't believe it sometimes, right? Joseph did not become bitter through his trials. He continued to trust God through them. I attended a conference um, a few weeks ago And I heard Pastor Andy Stanley share these words. He said this, actions speak louder than words, but reactions speak louder than either. Our reactions, when things don't go our way, say more about our confidence in God than anything else. Think about that for a second. Actions speak louder than words, but our reactions speak louder than both. The way that you and I react to life circumstances, especially when things don't go our way, 
Do I need to give examples, Christians? That communicates so much more about what you truly believe about God's control and sovereignty over things of earth than anything else you ever say or do. The way you react when you turn on the news and things didn't go the way you wanted says so much more about what you believe about God than what you say or what you do. How are you going to react when things don't go your way? Our faith and our character are tested in the fires of pain and adversity. Joseph made a decision to bloom wherever he was planted. Never in a million years, never in a million years would Joseph have planned this for his life. What's your goals when you grow up? Well, I'm hoping to become a slave in Egypt. If everything goes according to plan, my brothers will hate me, they'll beat me, they'll throw me in a pit, they'll sell me as a slave, and I'll end up working for the executioner of Egypt. But hey, whatever the Lord wants, right? This was never in his dreams. But his reaction to the adversity revealed the depth of his faith in God. In Joseph's mind, I believe that he reasoned that, hey, if God is going to place me here in Egypt as a slave, I'm going to be the best slave that Egypt has ever seen, right? Joseph understood the principle of what Paul would later write in Colossians chapter 3. Paul said, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So here's a question to chew on. Here's a question to chew on. Does the effort and the quality of my work reflect who I am truly working for? Does the effort and quality of my work reflect who I am truly working for? Are you grumbling about your employers? Are you complaining about your job? Or are you doing it to honor Jesus Christ, working to bring him honor and glory? Well, the Lord was with Joseph, and he blessed the work of Joseph's hands. So much so that Potiphar and everybody else takes notice. Verse 3 says that his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Potiphar recognizes that we serve a lot of gods around here in Egypt. We have a lot of them, thousands literally in Egypt. But there's something different about Joseph. There's something different about the God that he serves. Whatever Joseph touches turns to gold, you know? Brothers and sisters, when we follow Jesus and when we live like him, when we serve like him, when we love like him, and listen, when we react to situations like Jesus, people notice. The difference is undeniable, isn't it? Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, this is the theme verse for our youth group, Ignite. Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I don't think Potiphar became like a, a follower of Yahweh, right? But I think he looked and said, whoa, there's something about that God, right? Joseph was letting his light shine. He was blooming where he was planted, and Potiphar took notice. He put Joseph in charge of everything that he had, and according to verse 5, from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. 
The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything, this is my favorite part, but the food he ate. Wow. Potiphar puts Joseph in charge of everything he has, and the Lord blesses Potiphar's fields. He blesses his house because of Joseph. You know, that makes me wonder how many businesses today have experienced the blessings of God simply because of the blessings that are being poured out on God's children who are working for them. How many employers have been blessed simply because of the quiet faithfulness of God's children working as unto the Lord? About a year ago, I was talking with somebody in this church who shared just that, the way that this person saw that the way that God was blessing his, his business because of his faithfulness to live unashamedly for Jesus Christ. Amazing things happen when people work as unto the Lord. How cool is it that, that, that other people can experience blessings just because of your faithfulness? Isn't that great? Well, the text says that the only thing that Potiphar had to worry about was the food he ate. People be like, hey, Potiphar, what do you got going on today? So I got a lot on my plate. Got a lot on my plate. I, I got to figure out what I'm having for breakfast. I got to figure out what I'm having for lunch. And then after that, I still have to figure out what I'm going to have for dinner. I am so buried. Life is rough. I love food. Um, <laughs> We just came back from a family vacation, and uh, I think that's what vacation is, right? I mean, that's what vacation is. It's just waking up in the morning, deciding what are you going to have for breakfast, what are you going to have for lunch, and what are you going to have for dinner? We literally, on vacation, we, we would get up, we'd have breakfast, and then as soon as we walked out of the hotel like restaurant, we'd walk out, and either, either me or one of my boys would say, what are we having for lunch? Where are we eating lunch today? What, what, what time are we having dinner? <laughs> you know, like, I'm still stuffed, and we're already thinking about what we're having for dessert tonight. Um, I love food. That's quite a life that, uh, that Potiphar had there under Joseph. So Potiphar didn't have to worry about anything, right? Nothing. Everything was well taken care of under Joseph's care. So as Joseph walks with God, God gives him great success in everything that he did. But with success, right? With success, the door is open for another test in Joseph's life, another test of his faithfulness. This time, it's not the test of a trial that he's going to be under. It's going to be the test of temptation, the test of temptation. At the end of verse 6, we're told this. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. By the way, there aren't many people in Scripture that that's set of. I think David is one. Uh, Absalom is another one. Um, and it's interesting that every time this is said, you should go like, Danger, danger, right? There's a, it's not always a blessing to be blessed, apparently, with being handsome in form and appearance. Verse 7 says, After a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. Joseph was a good-looking fella. He was. He was young. He was well-built. And apparently, he caught the eye of Mrs. Potiphar. Mrs. Potiphar, who apparently wasn't into small talk, makes her intentions with Joseph very clear. Not a lot of words here. Lie with me. 
She's not asking, is she? That's not a question mark. It's not will you. It is a command. Now, I want you to think this through. Joseph is young, right? He's a single man. He is far away from home. He has been through an incredible amount of emotional pain and trauma. And he's now standing in the presence of this woman, a woman who is in a position of authority over him. And she is asking him to sleep with her. No, she's telling him to sleep with her. Joseph finds himself in the midst of a real temptation and a real pressure. This is real. Now, I think sometimes we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, he refused. She was probably really ugly, right? (laughs) Doubt it. Probably not. Probably not. And, you know, the things that I just laid out, these are the same excuses that we hear all the time from people who fall into sins like pornography, right? I've just been through so much. So much pain, so much trauma. You and I both know that there are, there are men, plenty of men, who would have caved under half of the amount of temptation that Joseph finds himself in front of right now, right? We read about one of them last week. Remember Judah? I mean, Judah is, is so weak that he can't even walk down the road and walk past a prostitute, right? It's like, oh, well, I, how could I not? There was a prostitute there, right? That's Joseph's older brother, Judah. I should also point out that just because in this story it's a woman who is pressuring a man, make no mistake, it goes both ways, right? There are countless stories, just read the news, of men who have pressured women in the very same way, using their positions of authority and power to get what they want. This is not, I said it last week, this is not a man problem, this is not a woman problem, this is a human problem problem, isn't it? It's a selfishness problem. It's a lack of integrity problem. It's a lack of following God's clear directions problem. Think about King David with Bathsheba, if you needed an example. But Joseph's not like his brother Judah, is he? Joseph refuses to compromise his character and his devotion to God. Verse 8 says this, but he refused Should I say that again? But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He's put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph refused. First, he refused to violate the trust that he'd been given by Potiphar. Potiphar's entrusted Joseph with a lot, hasn't he? Joseph says, because of me, my master has no concern about anything, nor has he kept back anything from me. Joseph basically says, Potiphar trusts me. How could I ever violate his trust? Secondly, he refused to compromise his character by sleeping with another man's wife. Joseph looks at her and he says, to po- he says that, that, that Potiphar hasn't kept back anything from me except you. 
because you're his wife. Joseph reminds her that she's a married woman. And consequently, he is not about to compromise his character by sleeping with her. And then finally, and then probably most importantly, and probably what undergirds all of the above, Joseph refused to commit this wickedness and sin against God. I love the fact that Joseph just calls it what it is, right? He says that this would be what? A great wickedness. This would be a great wickedness. It is wicked. Brothers and sisters, no matter how much our, our culture tries to make these sins acceptable, sexual immorality is wicked. It's wicked. Movies and, and books and, and sitcoms, they all attempt to normalize and downplay the seriousness of these sexual sins. But no matter what you call it, you can call it an affair, you can call it an indiscretion, you can call it a moment of weakness, but Joseph is right. It's just wicked. It's wicked. Sexual activity within the confines of marriage is a beautiful thing. You know it's a gift from God? It is a gift. Sexual uh, relationships between a husband and wife are good. It's good. But when it is experienced outside of the marriage covenant, God's word says that it is sin. It is wicked. But, and listen carefully, it is also forgivable. Forgivable. If you're hearing this message this morning and you're feeling convicted, maybe, maybe because you haven't exactly had the same integrity as Joseph at some point or another in your life and in, in, in relationships or, or in some area of sexual purity, I just want you to know that it's forgivable, okay? This is not an unpardonable sin. There is grace. There is forgiveness. Bring it to the Lord and experience His grace and forgiveness. And by the power of His Holy Spirit, learn to walk in the freedom of, of refusing this area of sin in your life. Amen? Don't walk out of here all beat up and beat down and feel like there's no hope for me. When the Spirit convicts us, we repent, right? And we turn and we follow Jesus. And God, remember we talked about it last week, God has an amazing ability to take the garbage of our lives and turn it around and use it for good and glory. Amen? He does it. The text says that Joseph refused. He refused. And according to verse, uh, verse 10, he didn't refuse just once. He didn't refuse just once. He refused day after day. Verse 10 says, and as, as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Day after day, Joseph refused her. The text says that he wouldn't listen to her. He wouldn't uh, to lie beside her or to even be with her. He literally refused to be near her, right? Can you imagine Joseph trying to do his job? He's like, oh gosh, here she comes, <laughs> right? Like Joseph's doing everything in his power just to not be near this, this lady. Brothers and sisters, if you're struggling with some form of temptation, maybe it's time to stop going near it, right? 
Maybe it's time to set up some boundaries in your life, right? To protect you from the temptation that you know that you struggle with. And whatever that sin is, you might need to make some choices to help you avoid it. Joseph would not listen to her, lie beside her, or even be near her. He did his best to avoid the temptation and to ignore her. But Mrs. Potiphar would not take no for an answer. So in verse 11, we read this. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Isn't that a great picture? Day after day, she's trying to get Joseph to abandon his loyalties to her husband, Potiphar, and to his God. And day after day, he refuses. And the text says that on this particular day, Joseph goes to the house. He's just going there to do the work that he always does. But this time, none of the men of the house are there. Doesn't this whole thing feel like a setup? Joseph walks in and she grabs a hold of him, grabs him by the coat, and she demands, she says, lie with me. And nobody's there. Nobody's there to witness what's happening as she is determined to get what she wants. But Joseph left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. He did some sort of a spin move. His jacket comes off and he bolts out the door, right? He ran. He slips from her grasp and she's left standing there holding his coat. Brothers and sisters, there is a time to run. There's a time to flee from temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul says to flee from sexual immorality. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, Paul says to Timothy, flee youthful passions. There's a time to run. There's a time to flee. You don't stand around trying to be a hero, trying to resist. Like, I know I usually fall for this, but today's gonna be different. I can stand here in the temptation and do this. No, flee, run, get away from the temptation. Joseph fled And he left her holding his coat. Verse 13 says, And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Humiliated, right? That's the best word probably to capture how she's feeling. She's humiliated by Joseph's constant refusal and she realizes that Joseph is never going to give in, right? So Mrs. Potiphar decides that if she can't have Joseph, she's just gonna destroy him. If I can't have him, I'm gonna destroy him. She says in verse 15, see, he, Potiphar, she's talking about her husband now, Potiphar has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. She says, this is all Potiphar's fault. He's the one who brought in this Hebrew, right? 
Notice she, she doesn't even say Joseph's name here, does she? She doesn't say her husband's name either. She's like, he did it with this Hebrew. You gotta understand that, and we're gonna see this when we get in later into the series in Genesis chapter 43, but the Egyptians really looked down on all foreigners. They were the elite, the Egyptians, and everybody else was way, way, way beneath them. They were all slaves in the eyes of the Egyptians. In Genesis chapter 43, we're gonna see that they wouldn't even eat at the same table as a foreigner. And so with derision in her voice, she basically says that this is what happens. This is what happens when you let foreigners, this is what happens when you let a Hebrew into your household. Verse 16 says, then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story. The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Potiphar comes home and she tells him the same made up story. And she says, you made this problem, Potiphar. Now fix it, fix it. And in verse 19, we read, as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. As I've read and reread these verses, my mind is still unclear as to whether or not Potiphar fully believed the story that his wife has given him. Is he really convinced? It's interesting, this morning before, before the service, we were praying with the worship team uh, in my office, and uh, one, of the, one of the members of the worship team who was looking ahead at the chapter, he said, he said, you know, it's always been a puzzle to me whether or not Potiphar even believed his wife, you know? Because if you think about it for a second, who is Potiphar? He's the captain of the royal guard, right? These are the people who carried out executions, Joseph has been accused by Potiphar's wife of attempted rape, right? And Potiphar doesn't execute him. He just puts him in jail. He puts him in jail in where Pharaoh's other, excuse me, where Pharaoh kept other prisoners, right? Maybe, just maybe, Potiphar was aware of his wife's wandering eyes. Is it possible? Is it possible that Potiphar is, is he's, more, he's just angry at the situation, angry with his wife, angry with himself for allowing this to happen because guess what? Everything I have, all I worry about is breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And now because of this, I got to lock up the best slave I have ever had. Well, the truth is I'm not really sure. I'm not sure. It's purely conjecture. It's not really clear to me what Potiphar thought, but I'll tell you what is clear to me, and it absolutely astounds me every time I read this story. Not once in this story, nor in the rest of the story of Joseph's life, do we read about Joseph calling out Potiphar's wife for what she did to him. And that's really something. Because Joseph, you guys, you've read the story. Some of you are like, what's gonna happen? 
But a lot of you, you've read the story, and so you know that Joseph is going to go to jail, right? He's going to be in prison for a while, and then he's going to come out of prison, and he's going to be the second most powerful man in all of Egypt, more powerful than Potiphar, way more powerful than, than, than Potiphar's wife. And it surprises me every time I read this story that the first thing he does when he gets out of prison isn't to go and pay Mrs. Potiphar a visit. Guess who's second in command, you know? <laughs> Pharaoh gave me this little uh, ring. Remember that day that we never talked about? He doesn't do that. That blows my mind. It blows my mind because I can tell you that's probably what I would want to do, right? It's just another way that Joseph is like Jesus, isn't it? Joseph, like Jesus, was wrongly accused. Joseph, like Jesus, remained silent. Joseph, like Jesus, paid the penalty for somebody else's sin, a sin that he did not commit. But there is a big difference between Joseph and Jesus, and that is this. Joseph's sacrifice did not pay the price for my sins. His sacrifice did not pay the the, the price for your sins, but Jesus' sacrifice paid the price for all our sins once and for all. Jesus' sacrifice paid the price for every single one of us who at one time or another, including Joseph, didn't resist the temptation that came our way. Because the Bible says that every single one of us has caved to the temptation of sin at some point or another, right? We have all sinned. We've all sinned. And the price that Jesus paid on the cross on our behalf paid the price for every single time when you have failed to do what God is calling you to do. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of the price he paid, we can experience forgiveness and we can be reconciled to God through what he suffered on our behalf. Isn't that a good news? That's the gospel, by the way. What is the story of scripture? What is the gospel? The gospel says this. God created man, man blew it totally blew it. Every single person that's ever walked on the face of the earth blew it. They fall to temptation. They sin. They violate God's teaching, and they deserve God's punishment. The gospel is this, that God said, I'm not okay with this arrangement. The gospel is this, that he said, I'm so not okay with this arrangement that I'm going to send my son Jesus to pay for all their sins. And because of what my son is going to do for them, he's going to die in their place. He's going to be buried. He's going to come back to life and he's going to defeat sin. He's going to defeat death. And these people, all of them can be restored back into a relationship with me, a holy God. That's good news. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And Joseph didn't do that for us. Jesus did that for us. Well, you can be sure that an Egyptian prison is not where Joseph wanted to be, right? He thought the worst of his life was behind him. I was a slave. I was in a pit, uh, but I worked hard and, and I got promoted. And I am, the, I, I am the king in Potiphar's house other than Potiphar. Life is good. It's getting better again. Maybe my dreams are going to come true after all. Maybe somehow all those dreams that I had back in, in Canaan, they're going to really happen. And then he gets thrown in prison. What? What? It doesn't seem fair, does it? This doesn't feel fair. Why do bad things happen to good people? 
Why do bad things happen to good people? Brothers and sisters, we live in a broken and fallen world. As a result of sin, trials and pain are experienced by both the righteous and the unrighteous. But even in the midst of our pain, we can rest assured that God is still in control. Even though it seems like Joseph's dreams are once again being shattered, we know that God is working in and through even these circumstances to bring about his will and his purposes. If Joseph never gets thrown in prison, Joseph never meets a, a, a baker and a butler. By the way, you're gonna make, I will mess this up so many times next week. I constantly say the baker and the butcher. I, I, we, did a, we did a Bible study on Joseph with our small group, and every time I, I talk about these guys, I'm like, yep, yeah, the baker and the butcher in prison, and um, one of them loses their head. So um, just saying. Um, but no, he, he, if he doesn't go to prison, he never meets the baker. He never meets the butler. And if he never meets them, they never tell him their dreams, do they? And if they never tell him dreams, he doesn't get to interpret them. If he doesn't interpret them, he doesn't get to meet Pharaoh. So, hey, it doesn't look good right now. Joseph, no doubt, could have been filled with all kinds of questions once again, but God is in control. Joseph is not alone. God is with him through it all. Amen? And the same is true for you and me. Verse 21 says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. It's like he becomes the warden. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Sound familiar? It's like a story of Joseph's life. You know, I think the same thing can follow our lives too when we walk in faithfulness to God. The Lord was with Joseph and Joseph lived like the Lord was with him. You know, listen, we need, listen, we need to bloom wherever we are planted. And I recognize that some of you, you find yourselves working in a job you don't like. Maybe you're in a, in a, in a really tough situation that you're going through and you don't even understand why is God allowing this to happen in my life? You feel like you're walking through the most miserable uh, season that you've ever walked through. But you need to know that God is with you. You are not alone and you have a choice to make. Am I gonna just get beat up? Am I gonna allow this situation to stand between me and God or am I gonna bloom? Because this is where God has me right now. And I'm gonna be the best whatever, right, that this world has ever seen. Do whatever you do as unto the Lord and then just wait and see how God uses it because he is always, always working. His steadfast love is with you like it was with Joseph and he is working in your life to accomplish his will and his purposes. Let me invite the worship team to come up as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, I am so thankful. I am so thankful to, to read a story like this because even this week, you know, even this week, God, as I'm looking at my life and I'm thinking about my life and I'm thinking about the things that you're calling me to do and, and I look down the road and I don't understand and I don't totally get what you're up to, I'm comforted that, that I'm not in prison and, and I'm comforted that 
even if I was, I've got this example of your servant, Joseph, who continued to walk faithfully with you even through the darkest hours of his life. He continued to cling to you and you continued to work in and through him. And and because of his faithfulness, he was a blessing to those around him. And we get that same opportunity. I'm so thankful, Jesus. So thankful for the opportunity you've given us to live our lives for you. And God, we've blown it. Sometimes we're a lot more like Judah than we are like Joseph. We don't resist the temptations that come our way. Sometimes our reactions aren't the way they should be. We don't look like Jesus in the way that we react to the things that are going on around us. Thank you, God, that you forgive us when we turn to you and we ask you to forgive us and that we can repent. We can literally turn away from those sins and choose to follow you. And so, God, I want to pray this morning that if there's anybody here who has never made the decision to receive the gift of forgiveness and eternal life that your son Jesus made possible. Oh, Joseph, he suffered for someone else's sins, but your son Jesus suffered for all our sins. And God, I pray if there's somebody here who's never made that decision to say, yes, I wanna be forgiven and I wanna follow Jesus. God, I pray that today would be the day that they would make that decision. They would turn to you, confess their sins and choose to follow you for the rest of their life. And God, I do pray that as we leave this place, that as your children, we would walk out of here ready to bloom wherever you have us this week. That we would let our light shine in such a way that others would see our good deeds and not praise us, but that they would glorify you, our Father who is in heaven. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. And if you, uh, if you are someone who's here and you've never received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then make today the day. You know, come and talk with me after the service. I'd be happy to pray with you, to talk with you, or somebody else here that maybe you, that you know is a follower of Jesus. Ask them to pray with you to receive Jesus today. Amen? Amen.